0: Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and if you want to, you can put a finger in Matthew 5. Those are the two places we'll be hanging out today, and Megan is going to read for us from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 6.
1: Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he brought and nourished, and and it grew together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie on his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because because he did this thing, and he has no compassion.
0: Thank you. So when I was finished up with my time in the Navy and moved up back to the wonderful Pacific Northwest from San Diego, uh, there was a season of my life where Nicole had meetings every couple of weeks on a Monday night, and I wasn't invited to these meetings. It wasn't a weird cult. She sold Mary Kay for a while, just just so you know. That's what she was doing. But it worked out okay because a good friend of mine, we'll call him Josh McCann, we'll call him that because his name was... Josh McCann, his wife also went to these meetings every other Monday. And this meant that Josh and I got to hang out with our kids twice a month, which was great. Um, Annabelle and Justice were both three or four years old. Um, they were born like within two weeks of each other. Best friends, well, because we were friends with their parents, so assigned best friends they were. They would play with toys, they would eat some goldfish, they would run around the house Well, Josh and I did adult things. Like talking about youth ministry and eating goldfish and playing Mario Kart. But every once in a while, these two little three-year-old humans wouldn't figure out how to share a toy. I don't know if you've ever been around kids, but they don't always know how to share toys with each other. So they would find a toy that they both wanted, and then they'd be angry and upset. And, and Josh and I figured out a way to fix this. We would take the toy that was causing the problem and put it on top of the entertainment center. You know, it was 10 years ago, everybody had big entertainment centers with like fat TVs in them, so we'd put it up there, and some nights most of the toys in Josh's house ended up on top of the entertainment center because Annabelle and Justice couldn't really figure out how to get along. But that was, that was what we did to bring peace to the situation. We stopped the fighting by removing the item of conflict. If you're following along in your notes today, the first blank is Bring in peace requires action. Bringing peace requires action. Now, there's probably better ways to teach your kids how to get along and how to share than taking away the toys and putting them on the entertainment center. I'm not claiming that that was the best thing to do. We also did teach our kids about sharing, and we think they turned out pretty okay as they've grown up. But bringing peace to that situation required that Josh and I do something, that we took action. My guess is that peace would not have happened if we left it in the hands of two wonderful three-year-old human beings. My name is Wayne. I have the privilege of being the associate pastor of youth and family ministries here at Alliance Bible Church. Uh, Thank you for spending some some time with us this fine Sunday morning in the sun, Um, which I don't know about you guys, but like cats, they know what's up. I was sitting over there waiting, and we can feel the sun through the window, and you just feel the warmth. Fantastic. Like cats know what's up there. But thank you for joining us today as we spend some time worshiping and learning from God's word. When conflict comes, what do we do with it? To me, it feels much easier just to avoid it. But I would put forth that when we do that, we don't truly experience peace. Maybe a family member has made a choice that we don't agree with, so we just decide we won't talk to them anymore because that will be the easiest way to not have conflict. Or maybe you and your spouse don't see eye to eye on the best way to discipline the kiddos. It's never happened in my house today. Mostly because I leave the house very early on Sundays. I've barely spoken to my wife today. Hi, honey. But you don't agree on how to discipline, so your parenting is inconsistent, and it leaves neither of you happy and your kids confused. Or maybe at school there's a group of kids who are picking on someone. They think it's all in fun and funny, but you can see that the one being picked on is hurting. In all of these instances, in all of these situations, it seems easier to let it be and hope it works out. But our next blank here, but what is easiest isn't always best. What is easiest isn't always best. I wasn't sure if you guys would believe me on this, so I have a quick example. Yesterday, I was able to spend the day at the beach, riding the train, eating pizza and ice cream. Um, it was it was really a good time. But we were gone most of the day. We got home at like 7.30. And in, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get home from a long day. I kind of relax. And then I end up in bed. And I'm laying there in bed, and I realize that I haven't brushed my teeth that evening. And nobody else has done that, right? You guys all morning, noon, night. Well, sometimes that happens to me. And you're laying there in bed. And what is easiest at that point is just to know that, you know, your toothbrush and toothpaste will be there in the morning. You're not going to talk to anybody until then. So the easiest thing is just to lay there. But my guess is a dentist would say the best thing to do would be to drag your bottom out of bed and spend a minute brushing your teeth for good oral hygiene. But what is easiest isn't always best. Today, like I said, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 and Second Samuel 12. If you want to turn there in your Bible or your Bible app on your cellular telecommunications device. It's a phone. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five, the upside down kingdom that Christ calls us to. In chapter four, verse seventeen, Jesus summarizes his message. He says, "Repent, for the kingdom is at hand." And then in Matthew's chap- Matthew chapter five through seven, it shows in greater detail the repentant lifestyle that characterizes the people of this upside down kingdom. God's kingdom is now. And not yet. God is sovereign, he is in control, and we can live out his principles right now. But there are aspects of the kingdom that won't be fully realized until Christ's return. In these first verses of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives a list of blessings for those in his kingdom. On each of them, there is a present blessing pronounced. He says, blessed are they. And to each a future blessing is promised, which is variously expressed, so as to suit the nature of the grace or duty recommended. And today we're in verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, a present blessing that comes with being a peacemaker has to do with our health. A 2012 study by Dr. Michael McCullough and Benjamin Tabak found that the cortisol levels, sorry, there's big words, so I'm going to read slowly, cortisol levels associated with interpersonal conflict decrease if a victim perceives that his or her transgressor is agreeable to making efforts to work through the conflict. Cortisol cortisol is a stress hormone, not that good for our bodies. That goes down when we think that people might be willing to work things out. So we see the benefits of being able to express our feelings, apologize, ask forgiveness, and seek reconciliation. Now you would think that I added the word reconciliation, but this was a medical blog that used the word Reconciliation. Very kind of them to use that for me. So on a basic level, harboring resentment and anger towards another person stimulates the stress response of the fight-or-flight mechanisms of the sympathetic nervous system, which spikes levels of the stress hormone cortisol. Conversely, this is the blog speaking, because I don't say things like conversely, I'm not that fancy. Resolving conflicts and letting go of your anger toward another person stimulates the tend and befriend mechanisms of the parasympathetic nervous system which can increase human bonding and levels of oxytocin. So there are health benefits to being willing to deal with anger, to seek reconciliation. In Matthew 5 9, Jesus tells us, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And today we're going to look at a story, at an account, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, to see an example of someone who is willing to be a peacemaker. At the beginning of chapter 12, as we read. The Lord sent Nathan to David. So, we'll talk about our characters so far in this story. You have the Lord, Yahweh, the holy God, creator of all things, compassionate and rich in mercy. Then you have David. Uh, We talked about David about a month ago when I spoke. He killed a giant. That was a good move. Um, And then he spent some time running and hiding from Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Um, After the hiding and the such, Saul died. David becomes king. He'd been king for a while, and then one day he stays home when the armies go off to war. And when he stayed home, um, bad things happened. He committed adultery with another man's wife. He found out that that woman, we'll call her Bathsheba, was pregnant. So he had her husband killed in battle, and then he married her. So that's who David is up in this story. And then Nathan, his name means gift. He was a prophet in the royal court during the reign of David. In the early years of Solomon, David consulted Nathan about building a temple. Nathan responded favorably, but then that night the Lord spoke to Nathan with instructions for David that his successor would build the temple and not him. So, one thing we see from this so far is your next blank is that Nathan had a relationship with David. Nathan had a relationship with David. When David wanted to build the Lord's temple, Nathan first said yes, but then God spoke to Nathan. Nathan was willing to go to the king and say, Actually, no. Your son is going to build the temple. David was a man of war. Solomon was a man of peace. And Solomon would build the temple. So Nathan and, Nathan and David had that relationship. They had talked about things before. Nathan had brought hard news to David before. And at this point in the story, David's sin with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband is private. But the Lord sends Nathan to confront David about his sin. Nathan tells that story to David of a rich man who takes the only lamb of a poor man to feed his guest. And David is angry with the rich man, and rightfully so. I like that Nathan used a story that David would relate to. Before David was king, he was a shepherd. And shepherds take care of sheep and lambs and goats and other things, I'm guessing. I've never been a shepherd, so I don't know for sure. But David heard this story, and he was mad. Verse five says, David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. Verse seven says, Nathan replied to David, you are the man. Not like you're the man, but like in the story, you're that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel in Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite's sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. Enoch explains there, sometimes we need a perspective outside of ourselves to see our sin. Through, Nathan, through Nathan's story, David was able to understand better how he had sinned against God. Sometimes when I'm just living my life and worried about myself, I don't see how my choices and actions are affecting others. My guess is that David knew that he had sinned. He knew the laws and the commands of the Lord. But with Nathan's story, he was able to see his sin from the perspective of those who were around him who had been adversely affected by his sin. I have once or twice or seven times in my life gotten a speeding ticket. Now, we all know the laws and the signs are posted. And now if you use Apple Maps or Google Maps, like it's on your GPS, that says, hey, this is the speed limit. And the speed limit, as far as I understand, is not a suggestion, but actually the upper number of speed that you're allowed to go by the law so that we can all drive safely and have good days. But sometimes I'm in a hurry. And when I'm in a hurry, I don't necessarily think about other people's safety or the fact that 62 isn't the same as 55. I just think about, well, I need to be places, so I step on the gas pedal and I go faster than I should. But then when you see the red and the blue lights flashing behind you, it offers another perspective on your actions. Right? Suddenly you're aware that, oh yeah, this, this rule, this law is here so that we can all be safe. So that this can work like it's supposed to. And we're not just thinking about ourselves. I mean, we are, but we're kind of mad at ourselves and mad as we'll have to pay money. But the, the police officer helps us see another perspective of our actions and their effects on those around us. Nathan was able to do that for David. He was able to help him see from another perspective how his choices and his sin were affecting others. In verse 13, we see David's response. It says, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. Your next blanks there. Our response to correction should be a humble examination of ourselves. Our response to correction should be a humble examination of ourselves. David could have tried to justify his actions. He could have told Nathan that God had made him king. And as king, he had the right to do pretty much whatever he wanted. He could have blamed Bathsheba for her part in the situation. He could have blamed Uriah for his part in the situation. He could have had Nathan put in prison or probably worse for questioning the king. But he didn't. That's not what David did. David looked at himself and admitted his sin. Nathan was willing to obey what the Lord had called him to do and go and confront the king about his sin. And because of Nathan's obedience, David was reconciled to the Lord. And even after this sin, God used David in great and mighty ways. And if you look at the ancestry of Jesus, we see that it comes through David and actually even through Solomon, who was the next son born to Bathsheba. So God still used this, but David had to be reconciled. To God. Now we'll get back to what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5 and verse 9. The message paraphrase puts it this way You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. I would define a peacemaker as those who actively work to bring about peace and reconciliation where there is hatred and enmity. We saw Nathan do this by helping David see his sin. A peacekeeper will avoid conflict and confrontation, which only leads to surface-level peace. But being a peacemaker requires peace in action. Sitting back and hoping that a situation works itself out might seem like the easiest thing to do, but I'd be willing to bet you two nickels that it's not the best. And Jesus is our ultimate example of being a peacemaker. Second Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, it should be on the screen. It says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has com- committed to us the word of reconciliation. We can be reconciled to God. And have a right relationship with God only through the price that Christ paid on the cross. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. Christ came as a peacemaker to reconcile us to a compassionate Heavenly Father. And in doing so, Christ calls us to be reconciled to each other. A little bit later in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, it says, So if, if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. And then come and offer your gift. Our relationship with other people affect our relationship with God. Your next blanks, our relationship with God won't be all that it should be if we are holding on to anger, hurt, or bitterness toward another human. Our relationship with God won't be all that it should be if we're hanging on to those things toward another human. Following Christ isn't a me and Jesus kind of endeavor. We can't say that we love God while acting in unloving ways toward people created in his image. And If you want to go home and figure out uh, which people were created in his image, I'll give you a spoiler alert. It's all of them. If we say we're following Christ, we must be a reconciler as Christ was and as he called us to be. God cares for your family member that you don't think is making wise choices and we haven't spoken to for a month or a year. God cares for your spouse, even when you don't agree on how to discipline. And God cared enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for that kid at school who is hurt by the words of others. To accept Christ is a call to walk with Christ, loving others as he loved. And when we live like Christ, we are truly blessed. The New Testament concept of blessed stresses the joy people experience as children of God and citizens of his kingdom. Your next blank there is true satisfaction requires peace in action. True satisfaction requires peace in action. It means we have to do something. Nathan had to obey God and talk to a king. Me and Josh had to take away toys from three-year-olds usually sitting back and hoping something gets better does not actually lead to peace at least the burying things and most things we bury just end up smelling real bad and rotting you know there are exceptions seeds money if you plant money a tree grows that's not true no but most things when we bury they just they smell bad and they rot true satisfaction requires peace in action but here's something to remember about peace i cannot control the other person's response. I can't control how the other person responds. Nathan didn't get to decide how David would react to his story. David was called to do, or Nathan, sorry, was called to do his part. If Nathan had ended up in jail because the king didn't like it, that's, that doesn't have anything to do with what Nathan was called to do. Nathan was called to go and talk to the king to point out his sin. We're called to be peacemakers, but we can't control how other people respond. And we don't have to. And hopefully you're as happy about that as, as I am. I have enough problems trying to control this one person. So I'm happy that other people's responses aren't my responsibility. Romans 12, 16 through 18 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Josh and I couldn't make Justice and Annabelle get along. Like, they're still humans, and they could disagree. I don't know if you've ever seen three-year-olds, but sometimes they disagree with nothing to disagree about. I'd like to say that we grow out of that, but. You guys are humans as well. You know, sometimes we just disagree because we want to disagree. Taking away toys doesn't always fix the problem. But we found that the fewer things they had to fight about, the higher the likelihood it would be a peaceful evening. As the band makes their way back up to the platform, we'll start wrapping up. Now, here's the thing. My guess is that you don't need to go to a king this week to confront him about his sin of adultery and murder. Hopefully that's not on anybody's plate. If it is, let me know. I'm happy to pray for you because it sounds like a big deal. But you're also probably facing a bigger conflict than three-year-olds or four-year-olds getting along. It's likely that somewhere in between these two, there is something in your life that could use some reconciliation. If you're here today and you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, then I would say that is a good first step. Because reconciliation with him will lead us to reconciliation with others. If you've made that decision, my guess, like I said, is there's something between three-year-olds getting along and going to the king to tell him that he is an adulterous murderer that maybe we need to work on this week. At the bottom of your message handout, it says this week. And the question there is, who do I need to reach out to and take steps toward reconciliation? So I'm going to start a prayer, and then I'm going to leave it silent for a couple minutes and let you pray and hear from God, and maybe he'll reveal somebody that you need to talk to this week or something that you need to send a letter to or an email to this week to start and take steps toward reconciliation. After a couple minutes, I'll close in prayer and we'll respond in a song together. Holy Father, I love you. God, I pray that you would search my heart. God, that you would know me. God, that you would show me ways that I can help bring reconciliation between me and others. God, so that I can truly show your love to others and truly follow you. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, I thank you for your presence in this place this morning. God, I pray that we that would we leave here challenged and changed by our time in your word and in your presence. Father God, I pray that this week as we go, that you would give us strength and grace to be peacemakers. God, to seek reconciliation with people in our lives, to follow hard after what you've called us to, laying everything else aside, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church